You can be seated. Well, we're in a series entitled Joshua, Courageous Faith. How many of you would love to have courageous faith? I think we do. Here's, here's the problem sometimes is, is we, we don't really want to go through what it takes to have courageous faith. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, me. Amen or oh, me. Those are the two responses typically in a message like this. So, so just, just for fun, I, I just want to throw the title out there for you. Uh, the title of the message today is Dealing with Sin. I know, doesn't that just encourage your hearts? Yeah. Y'all are really quiet this morning. Um, don't worry. It's not that bad. There's hope. Uh, his name is Jesus. Um, so, so if you'll remember, we, we've been going through this, and, and I love digging into the Old Testament stories. Now, we know that we say that. I, I have to make sure all the time when we're talking with kids, we say, this is a story from the Bible. This is a true story. And, and we, we want to say that because sometimes uh, we kind of don't, don't really think about the things in the Bible really happened. And, and so when I read Scripture, I, I read it as if I were there with them. And, and now I, I do the same thing that you guys do. I'm never the one doing the wrong thing. When I'm there with them, I'm the guy standing over on the side saying, man, you messed up over there, right? We, we all kind of do that. Well, this is, this is the book of Joshua, and really uh, th- this is recounting how the, the children of Israel, this is the, the nation that God has called to himself. He's freed them from slavery in Egypt. Uh, they were disobedient, like right away. Uh, we, we can't relate to that at all. Uh, and so they didn't go into the promised land. They said, oh, these people are too big. We, we can't take them. Only two of the spies said, are you kidding me, God? We've got this. And so they wandered for 40 years to that whole generation, say for Joshua, we're not sure what happened with Caleb, are left. And so now they've gone into the promised land. They've crossed over the Jordan. They've, they've left some of the old things behind. The manna has ceased. They're now living off of the fruit of the land. And yet they brought some of the old things with them. So, so the new thing is they're eating from the fruit of the land. The old thing is that they still observe the Passover. They're still remembering how great and how mighty their God is. They come to Jericho, the most fortified city in the land, the, the obstacle that's keeping them from going into the promised land. God took care of that. It was really great, great military strategy. I'm going to write this down if I'm ever the commander of an army. All you've got to do is march around a city. Once a day for six days, seven times on the last and on the seventh day, uh, blow your trumpets and shout. Now, now I wouldn't recommend that if you're a military person unless God tells you to do that. But that's what happened, and the walls came down in Jericho, and they defeated the most fortified city, the, the obstacle that would have kept them from going into the promised land, God. Now, now you would think, you would think that by now they've learned how to trust God. Have you ever thought that in your own life? But by now, I should have learned how to trust God. I mean, look at all the things he's done. Look how God is taking care of us. Do you remember when we had no food and, and we walked out and there's food on our doorstep? Now, not manna. Uh, hopefully, if it was yours, it was in a grocery bag. I'm dating myself a little bit. Um, a paper bag came to mind. Nowadays, it's sacks, right? You would think, you would think that, that we, we would finally get to the place where we say, you know what, God, I, man, I just trust you. You would think that, that Israel would have been there. They're not really a, solidified, a solidified nation just yet, but the children 
of Israel, these Israelites, you would think, especially just after, just after Jericho and that mighty defeat where they didn't even, they did raise the sword, but after the walls came down, they just came and decimated Jericho. It, it was theirs. You would think that they wouldn't have any trouble trusting God at this point. And, and yet, they did. If you remember, I, I love the Bible. Names in the Bible are so much fun. Some of them, I don't know if anybody really knows how to pronounce. I'm just saying. I, I hear these, these scholars, these theologians all pronounce it just a little bit differently. But they go to the land of Ai. didn't know there's artificial intelligence in the Bible. But the land of Ai, and, and, and they, they, they go to, to go out with them. And, and we don't have the names of these people, but Joshua listened to the wrong people. He didn't, he didn't inquire of God. And, and they said, you know what? These people are puny. That's my paraphrase. These people are puny. They're little. We don't even need to take the whole army. Just send two or 3,000. Why bother everybody with having to go? You know, let's let some of our guys take, take a rest. So they sent 3,000 out. They, 36 of them were killed. And they turned tail and ran. At the beginning of that passage, though, we, we have a little bit of insight. Achan took some of the gold that was supposed to be given to the treasury of the Lord. And they suffered defeat in Ai. So that's where we pick up today. So read with me, if you would. Follow along Joshua chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 10. Then the Lord, and, and just so that you know, I've said this several times already, whenever the Lord is capitalized in the Old Testament, that's the proper name for God, Yahweh. You could substitute Yahweh in there. That's nothing weird at all. In fact, if you grab the Hebrew um, Old Testament, it says Yahweh. Well, it just has the consonants, not the vowels. But then Yahweh said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? We end with, let me, let me back up a verse, verse 9. For the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and surround us. This is Joshua moaning uh, to the Lord and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do? He finally turns back to the Lord. What will you do for your great name? God answers him. Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things and they've stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, These, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that Yahweh takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that Yahweh takes shall come near by households, and the household that Yahweh takes will come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel." So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe, and the tribe Judah was taken. Let, let me just insert here. Can you imagine? You're in the tribe of Judah. Oops. 
So the tribe of Judah was taken, and he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerites was taken. Narrows in just a little bit. And he brought near the clan of the Zerites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and praise, give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. When I read this, I almost, I had a little bit of a flashback with my dad. You, you ever been there? You did something that you knew was wrong. You hoped you wouldn't be found out. And then from the other side of the house, this, this, was, this is my flashback. Yours may sound different. Son, come here. Mm, please tell me to mow the yard. <laughs> please tell me to take out the trash. And then you're standing there with your dad and he says, son, what have you done? Now, if you're anything like me, I was a stinker. That could have been one of 20 things. I don't want to confess something that, that he didn't know about. God got a hold of me at 15. It was a good thing. Here's, here's Achan now. And, and when this is announced, he knew, he knew that it was him. We know when we do wrong, don't we? That's kind of like in the house, something's missing. Okay, who took it? Well, you know if it was you, right? But he, he stayed silent until finally Joshua said to him, Achan, what have you done? And Achan answered, verse 20, Joshua, truly I have sinned against Yahweh, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. Now, you might be thinking, at least he confessed. Well, you know, when you're caught red-handed, it's kind of hard not to. <laughs> when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak of Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, and I coveted them, and I took them, and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath the rest of the story only goes downhill for Achan and his family. They go to his tent. They dig in the earth. They find the things that were supposed to be devoted to the Lord. And then, then it gets really odd for those of us who live on this side of the cross who don't live under the old covenant that they were under, the law. Because you remember what God told Joshua would have to happen to the one who took it and the things that were taken that they would have to be burned with fire. So Achan and his family, along with the things that they had stolen, were burned with fire. And, and you may be thinking, when you read things like this in the Old Testament, you might be thinking, wow, that's harsh. You know what I think? Wow, <laughs> that's harsh. Just to comfort you a little, we don't live under the law. Okay, so that, that's not going to be our fate. We live under grace. But there are a couple of things that, that I see in this story 
that I think directly apply to us in our daily lives. And, and let me just give you those two things right away. One is we need to take sin seriously. Now, now, I know we live under grace. We don't live under the law. Our sin was paid for by Christ on the cross. You understand that, right? When Jesus was on the cross in, in, in a way that I'll, I probably will never fully understand, God took our sin, placed it upon Christ on the cross. Then God poured out his wrath, the punishment for our sin, upon Jesus on the cross. Jesus took the punishment for our sin. For those who trust in Christ, your sin is paid for. Paul writes it this way in Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because Jesus was condemned for us. Another way that Paul puts it is the, the debt of sin that we had was canceled. Now, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> it was canceled. It's gone. There's therefore now, for those who are in Christ, there's therefore now no basis upon which God can condemn you for your sin. Jesus paid it. Isn't that great? You can say amen there. Oh, me comes later. No. That's amazing. How freeing that is. We live under grace. That's a gift. So Jesus took our sin. He took the punishment for our sin. But then God took the righteousness. Jesus, who fulfilled the law, took his righteousness and imparted it to those of us who believe, who trust in Christ. So that when God looks at those of you who are in Christ, he sees righteous. You are right with God. I, I don't. I don't fully understand. It blows my mind because I don't feel righteous a lot. But by the way, this is a side note. This is the toy that comes with the Happy Meal. Do you know for those who come to faith in Christ, you're never again called a sinner? Did you know that? Now, I know. I think it sounds cool, too. The bumper sticker, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know that once you come to faith in Christ, the Bible never calls you a sinner again. You're a saint. You're a holy one. You're a daughter. You're a son of God. You are co-heirs with Christ. Maybe I didn't say that, right? Because you didn't seem to get too excited. You have the inheritance of Christ, the sinless one, from God because of what he did on the cross for you and me. That's amazing. And, and we live under grace. Our sin is paid for. It's done. And so our, our, our temptation is to be, oh, so it's okay if I sin. Here's the way Paul puts it, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. So some of you may think, well, so should I sin more? So grace will abound more. And, and Paul says in the strongest language he could, God forbid. There's another way to say that. No, no. <laughs> Of course not. But because of that, because we live under grace and not under the law, our sin is paid for, we tend not to take sin too seriously. And I read this story here of Achan and his sin, and as harsh as it seems, and that's not what we do now on this side of the cross, but it's Harsh as that seems, it's a reminder to me that I need to take sin seriously. 
It's a big deal with God. It cost him his only son. The second thing is this, is that we need to deal with sin. Not only is sin a big deal, but we need to deal with it. And sometimes we don't, don't we? How many of you have, you have a pet dog? Anybody have a puppy or, or a cat? Anybody? Um, my puppy, and it's not my puppy, her puppy. That's, that's when your child does something wrong. Her child, no. Her puppy didn't like the thunder last night. Yeah. I don't know why he came to me and licked me in the face every time it thundered. Um, sometimes, sometimes we kind of treat sin like our little pet. We just kind of keep them around. We take them out and play with them a little bit, and then we put them back in their little kennel. So, so two things that I get from this story, as harsh as this seems, and, and it should seem harsh to us, they, they burned Achan and his family and all the things that were supposed to be devoted to the Lord. They burned them with fire. We need to take sin seriously. We need to deal with it. Now, now, I want to talk. Some of you are like, wow, that's fast. We get to get there first for lunch. We're not done yet. <laughs> Dealing with sin. So how do we deal with sin? How do we do that? What does that look like on this side of the cross? Well, well let me give you a couple of ways. First of all, when it's your sin, because we're going to deal with our sin and we're going to deal with the sin of others. But first, when it's your sin, you need to deal with it swiftly and severely. Does that make sense? Now, I know, I know. That's how we like to deal with other people's sin, isn't it? <laughs> well, that guy, man, let me tell you, boy, let's get him, <clears throat> you know. That was a kicking. I, I can't lift my leg up very high or I'd do a karate kick for you. When it's our sin, we need to deal with it swiftly and severely. This is what it looks like in the New Testament. This is what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5. Are you ready? Verse 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Does that sound severe enough? He didn't say put a patch on it. He didn't say get some eye drops. (laughs) If your eye causes you to sin, he's talking about this in, in the context of lust. But if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away for it's better for you to lose one of your members than for the whole body to be thrown in hell. Jesus is, it's a hyperbole. He's going, he's, he's going to the extreme to make a point. When it's your sin, you deal with it swiftly and severely. Get, if it's your eye, get rid of it. Tear, now, don't you go out of here and say, Pastor Larry told me to tear my eye out and throw it away. Jesus is going to an extreme to make a point, and I think he makes it well. He also says, verse 30, If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. There there are two words that I put under this to to help help us to remember how we should deal with our sin. We should be quick and we should be decisive. Some of you are like, wow, this is a real downer. It gets better. Hang on. Because sin's a big deal. 
and we should deal with it. Now, we know, we know for those of us who are in Christ, this isn't a salvation thing. This is a, a living, a following Jesus thing. And, and listen, one of the, the biggest knocks that we get as Christians, one of the biggest hits that we take as the church is that people see us pretending like we don't sin and we don't do anything about our sin, but we're really quick to point out theirs, aren't we? You know, we want to be, we want to be swift and severe with their sin. Eh, we, you know, I, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. <laughs> I'm not perfect yet. You know, the little, the little caterpillar, God's not finished with me. And, and that's true, but that is not an excuse to harbor sin. The second one is this. When it's someone else's sin, you beat the snot out of them. No, that's what we would tend to do. But, but that's not what we're called to do. When it's someone else's sin, this is the way we deal with it. We deal with it lovingly and for reconciliation. Let, let me just read Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to you. It's 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, those who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And in verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Wow, isn't that different than what we normally do? We normally try to hide our sin, and man, we really want to point out somebody else's sin. Sorry for you sitting over there. I'll point over here. Point out someone else's. I'll point to the chair that's empty. Someone else's sin. I just want to be careful. Someone's going to get offended here. I don't mean to point to you. I just, you just happen to be there. I'm so sorry. But, but imagine, imagine if we did what, what the Apostle Paul tells us to do. That if someone else is caught in a transgression that we restore them gently, that we deal with them in gentleness and, and for restoration, that we, we're gentle with them and we restore them. Man, wouldn't church look different? Wouldn't that be great? Now, now think about it this way. You know, when I read the Bible, I try to put myself there. What if I'm the one who's caught in sin? How do, how do I want to be treated? I want someone to lovingly, gently restore me, my relationship with God, my relationship with other people. Churches are known for killing their wounded. You ever heard that? Yeah. Yeah, we, we bring them up. We display them. We flog them. Not really. Figuratively, though, we, we tend to do that. Man, I tell you, so-and-so, oh, he's out of my Sunday school class. And yet that's not what we're called to do. We're called to go to them. Listen, this is a brother or a sister in Christ who needs help. Why would we cut the rope? Some of them may be hanging on the edge of a cliff by their fingertips. Why would we go and step on their hand? When it's someone else's sin, we should be gentle. And we should restore. What if we did that? What, what if that's the way that we practiced our, our lives in the church? Man, I, I, tell you, I, I tell you what I think. I think those outside of the church, those in the community, if they saw that how we dealt with each other like that, they would be like, man, that's a, 
that's the kind of people I want to be around. Well, they're hard on themselves, but look how loving they are toward one another. Now, 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 that's not saying that we say what they do is okay. That's not saying that we let them continue in sin. Let me give you an example from Jesus because, you know, he's, he's our example. John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. And, and you tell me, which do you think will have a greater impact on someone turning from their sin? John chapter 8. I should have, should have gone there already. John chapter 8, this is the story, you know it well. Let me, let me just tell you the story. This is the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And every single time I run across a story, this thought comes to mind. Wouldn't they have caught two people? So the guy's not there, but the woman is. They publicly drag her. This is the way we typically deal with people in sin. They publicly drag her, throw her down at the feet of Jesus. There's a huge crowd around, and they say, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses said we should stone her. What do you say? <laughs> you got to love it. Jesus basically stood there for a moment and knelt down and the, the wording here is a little ambiguous. He either wrote something in the sand or he drew something in the sand. And I think there was a long, uncomfortable pause. And I think they finally said, hey, we ask you a question. What do you say? And Jesus stood, and I think he met eyes with key people. He said, those of you without sin, you throw the first stone. And, and by all accounts, we know that everybody knew there was something about Jesus, that he had authority that nobody else did. And I can't imagine those with sin, which is like us, when Jesus met their eye, I bet you that their sin came to mind. I bet that Jesus' gaze pierced right to their heart. And the Bible says that one by one they began to drop. Actually, so Jesus said that. I think he met eyes with people. Then he went back to doodling or drawing or writing or whichever it was. And it says one by one they began to drop the stones and walk away. Jesus, apparently oblivious to what's going on, although we know he wasn't, drawing the woman i think is cowering waiting for the first stone jesus finishes doing what he's doing and he looks up and they're all gone except for the woman and the disciples and jesus dealt with her so gently so lovingly and yet he did not dismiss her sin Jesus said, where are those who would condemn you? And she said, they've all gone. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, now, now let me ask you, which, which of these two ways do you think would compel someone to turn from their sin, would have the greater impact in compelling someone to turn to, from their sin 
Would it be judgment and condemnation, the crowd that, that brought this woman and threw her at Jesus' feet, who were condemning her, who were judging her? Do you think that that would compel her to turn from her sin? Or do you think Jesus' approach of love and compassion, not discounting her sin, but of love and compassion, which do you think would have the greater impact in compelling someone to turn from their sin? Well, I'll tell you which one I want. I want love and compassion. And, and we, we live in such a messed up world where they want to twist everything and they say, you know, Jesus was all about love. And that's true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. Jesus demonstrated love. In fact, uh, he told the disciples, I'm going to give you a new law. You guys had the 630-some. I'm going to give you one. Anybody can remember one law? I can remember. Love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus demonstrated his love for this woman. He didn't tell her, hey, what you did wasn't so bad. Hey, things have changed. But he demonstrated love and compassion for her. And he said, go and sin no more. And I'll bet you that that had a greater impact on her than those mean, angry men who drug her and threw her at the foot of Jesus. As the church, we're called the bride of Christ. As Christians, you know what that means? Little Christ ones, we're called to reflect who Jesus is. What an impact we could have not only in our church on how we deal with one another, but on this community and, and even the surrounding communities if we dealt with one another with love and compassion. And he did Paul's words of kind of fleshing out Jesus' law, that we love one another as he's loved us, that if we, if we find someone in sin, that those of us who are spiritual, that is, those of us who were actually walking with the Spirit at the time, that we go to them and gently restore them in relationship. Wow. Now, Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 what to happen, what, what to do, how to deal with that if, if they don't repent. But, but man, I bet you, I bet you if we approach one another with love and compassion and we we in gentleness seek to restore in relationship or fellowship with God in relationship with each other. I bet you the one that turns away from that is going to be few and far between. I don't know about you. Actually, I do know. Because <laughs> it's a small town if you haven't figured it out. I really believe that, that we want to deal with people like Jesus dealt with us. And we need to remember sin's a big deal. We need to deal with our sin. And, and we need to deal with it swiftly and severely when, it, when it's us. But, but when we're dealing with other people's sin, let's do what Jesus did. and Let's do what we're commanded to do, actually, by the Apostle Paul in Scripture, to, to gently restore them 
What a difference. What a difference that would be. The world wouldn't see us as a bunch of angry people who are out to stamp out everybody else's sin, and yet we try to hide our own. They would see us as authentic people who genuinely care about them. And I think that would be a draw to faith in Christ and not repel them. Let's pray. God, it's so easy for us to try to deal with other people's sin. It's easy because it doesn't hurt us. It's easy because we're not the ones who have to take the steps to, to eradicate, to get rid of that sin. And yet, God, we know from your word that we need to first deal with our own. And that when it comes to us that we need to deal with our sin swiftly and severely, that, that we need to be quick and decisive. And, 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 and Jesus went to an extreme to make a point, but it hits home with us. We need to do whatever it takes to get sin out of our lives. We, we've been forgiven. We know that Jesus did that work on the cross for us. But this is a living thing. This is a, a, a fellowship thing. And God, I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that when there is sin in us, that you would convict us and you would give us the courage and the boldness to deal with it swiftly and severely, to be quick and decisive and do whatever it takes. At the same time, Father, as, as those who are called as followers of Jesus, as, as his bride, his church, that when we deal with the sins of others, that we would be gentle and that we would seek to restore that we would deal with them in love and compassion, just like Jesus did. He didn't let the woman off the hook, but God, as we read in Scripture, we can, we, we can just see the love and compassion of Christ for this woman that would compel her to turn from her sin, and that's what we want. The Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do the work in our hearts only you can do, that you would deal with us concerning our sin, and, and that you would help us to be loving and gentle and and compassionate when we deal with the sins of others. God, this morning, I pray that if there's a sin that we need to take care of with you, that Holy Spirit, you just just bring that to light in our hearts and give us that opportunity to just deal with our sin with you. If it, if it deals with someone else, that, that Lord, you'd prompt us to do that quickly. And God, I pray that as we as we live in relationship with one another, in relationship with you, in, in your body, the church. God, that we would deal with one another the way you've dealt with us. And that, Lord, it would show and it would be compelling to those around that they see the love of Christ in us and all that we do and, and particularly the way that we deal with sin. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.